breaking news. This is committed to crime. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Committed to Crime. I am Rachel Farmer. And I'm Chris Farmer. And we're back this week again with another true crime update slash closed case. I actually have two today for you. So um, I have two because we're talking about a pretty interesting topic, uh, which is family annihilators. So I don't know if you remember, but I had met, I had mentioned family annihilators to you before. Um, in, in general, they're just an interesting type of murder, um, which is also referred to as familiacide. I don't know if it's that interesting. It, it definitely just sounds awful. It is awful. Because <laughs> you were like, I've got something really interesting for you. You know those people who kill their entire families? Like, no. welcome to the cookout. <laughs> Stab. <laughs> Um, so the reason I chose to look into this this week was because of a recent familiacide of Victoria Button and her two sons by her husband, James Lee Webb. Um, so on August 31st, Dallas police were called to the Ash Creek Apartments in Far East Dallas around 11 a.m. after a man reported that he shot his wife and two children. In the home, police found three people had been fatally shot, Victoria Ronick Button, 35, and two teenage boys who were only 16 and 13. Also found were a handgun and shell casings. The man who shot his wife and children was James Lee Webb, 57, who was later arrested for capital murder. According to the arrest uh, arrest warrant affidavit, Webb said that him and Victoria had started arguing about an hour before the police were called, and the argument was due to him having a headache and the children being too loud. Webb shot Victoria at least twice, and then the teenagers, um, but how many times the teenagers were shot is unknown. After killing Victoria and the children, Webb waited an hour to call 911, which he did through an emergency medical alert device. In an interview, Webb further explained that he was tired of hearing Victoria and the children yelling and denying that there was anything wrong with him, so he shot them. You know, like a natural response. I feel like that's the uh, natural response to, hey, my kids are real loud. Let me pull out the Glock right quick. On September 1st, after being charged with capital murder the night before, Webb was transferred to the Dallas County Jail and is being held on a $3 million bond. Um, So something interesting to note about Texas is that they do not recognize degrees of murder like first degree or second degree. Instead, they have classes, which are capital murder, murder, manslaughter, and criminally negligent homicide. There are nine types of homicide that qualify for capital murder in Texas, according to the Texas law firm of John T. Floyd. Included in the nine is, quote, the defendant murders one or more person, A, during the time, or sorry, during the same criminal transaction, or B, during different criminal transactions, but the murders are committed pursuant to the same scheme or course of conduct. This is what I'm assuming qualifies Webb for capital murder, given that he murdered three people in the same incident. For his crimes, Webb is facing either life in prison without the possibility of parole or the death penalty. Yeah, I hope they kind of just don't do the life in prison. I thought Dallas was pretty loose about the death penalty. They're like Florida. I don't know. Um, Or not Dallas, but Texas. It's funny you say Florida because that's actually our second story. 
Well, go figure. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that one's pretty cut and dry because it's so... It was very simple, like, he committed the crime... He called the police. Are we talking about the Florida one or are we talking about the Dallas one? We're talking about the Dallas one. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, this one was just so short um, because it was so quick. Like, mm -hmm. James killed his family. He called the police. He confessed to it. And now we're already where we are. Um, so, I, after that, I was like, well, let me see if there were any more recent ones. Because usually when there's a family annihilator, it's like big news. Because they're just not as common as... I think it's more, I think I've seen them on the news before, but it's typically big whenever the kids are a lot younger. I mean, the mainstream media doesn't seem to really care about teenagers as much. Yeah, and they, um, which is a sad thing to say, um, but they, like, some of the big, bigger ones, I don't know if you recognize the names, um, but, like, in, in the true crime community, everyone knows them immediately, um, like Chris Watts and Susan Powell, um, things like that. Uh, yes, I'm gonna say his name wrong. Yasser Saeed, Yasser Saeed, who was the, um, the guy who I recently, I told you about who was recently found after being on the FBI's most wanted list. Um, he technically wasn't a family annihilator because he murdered his two daughters versus his whole family, which I believe also included like his wife and son. Um, but still, it was like a familial murder. Yeah, when you hear family annihilator, though, you don't think it's just, oh, hey, this is my wife and kids. Like, when you said that, I was like, oh, so he just invited everybody over. And <laughs> yeah, instead of condo. doing instead of doing Secret Santa, he did Silent Killer. Stop. So, that's what I thought was, yeah, Gam Gam's upstairs. <laughs> Christopher. Um, so, okay, so there was actually another story recently of a family annihilator, um, which is the Todd... Tot, T-O-D-T is the last name, Tot, family murder. Like Tater? Um, T-O-D-T, so like Todd, but with a T. So Tater Todd. <laughs> Before I jump into this story, I just want to note that most of what I share next is from the Orlando Sentinel. Um, they put together a very detailed timeline of all the events, uh, which is mainly what I pulled from and what I'm about to explain. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. So the Todd family lived in Os Osceola. Yeah, Osceola. that sounds that, sound, that sounds right. Osceola County, Florida, with roots in Connecticut. Anthony and Megan Todd had three children: Alec, who was thirteen; Tyler, who was eleven; and Zoe, who was four, as well as a family dog named Breezy. Anthony and Megan were both physical therapists and worked together at a family practice for physical therapy, which had two offices in Connecticut, according to the Hartford Current. The family moved to Florida while Anthony continued to work at the offices in Connecticut, commuting each weekend to Florida. Jesus. Yeah. Was it by car or by plane? I have no idea. Hopefully not by train. I would assume by plane. Yeah, because car would be like, hey, how do you want to waste your Friday night? Uh, you know, like 24-hour drive to go see my wife and kids. Yeah. Um, the plan was to continue this until the practices could sustain themselves and then he could stay in Florida full-time where the children were also being homeschooled. In late 2019, Anthony taught, um, and usually I refer to the murderer by like their last name, but because the whole family has the same last name, mm -hmm. I'm just using first names. Um, so in late 2019, Anthony was under investigation for his physical therapy business. Finally, on November 21st, 2019, Tot admitted to committing fraud. 
Todd was also collecting thousands of dollars from Medicaid and other private insurers for care he actually never provided. Um, so basically he was telling insurers he was conducting all these sometimes hundreds of appointments on patients he wasn't actually seeing. Mm. Um, it's unclear. Oh, sorry, that's that's incorrect because I answered that. Um, so uh, the next day, so as I noted, that was on November 21st that he admitted to the fraud. Right before Thanksgiving? Yeah. Um, and the next day he was actually in, they were in Connecticut with family for Thanksgiving. Um, and the next day, November 22nd, was the last day he was seen. On December 29th, Anthony's sister called the Osceola County Sheriff's Office, which I'm going to refer to going forward as OCSO, because it's just easier, um, because she was concerned after not hearing from anyone in the family since either December 23rd or December 24th. So they moved, like a whole month has gone by now. Yeah. Um, but he disappeared around right before Thanksgiving. The last time they saw him was around Thanksgiving. And the last time they heard from them at this point was around Christmas. This dude's bad. I don't understand why anybody would do anything like that. Like around the holidays. I know. That's super upsetting. It is. Like you go in and then all of a sudden, yeah, I just want some turkey and some canned jelly cranberries. <laughs> That's my favorite. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, good golly. His sister, Christy... Oh, sorry, Chrissy Caplet um, asked for a wellness check, citing that they had recently been sick for about a week and a half and she couldn't get a hold of them. Deputies conducted a wellness check on their rental home on reserved place, but they were unable to contact anyone and did not find anything worth concern. Just to note, they also own a condo on Longview Avenue, less than a mile and a half from their rental house. Um, and I didn't see anything about if a welfare check was conducted on the condo at that time. So they referenced the house and the condo multiple times. So on January 6th, 2020, a family member received a text from Anthony's phone from someone saying that the phone was found in a Starbucks in Sarasota um, that was going to be turned into the police. Sarasota County is about two and a half hours outside of Osceola County. Oh. This I thought that was in New York or something. They're all in Florida. No. Oh. Uh, the same day, a neighbor of the Tots uh, condo texted Megan, letting her know that there was an eviction notice on their front door. The neighbor then received a reply of, okay, thanks, but it's unknown who sent the reply, given it is suspected that Megan had already been dead at the time this message was received, which right. no one knew yet. The next several days are kind of a haze of trying to locate the Todd family, and at this point, the FBI had an arrest warrant for Anthony for the healthcare fraud. In an effort to find, in an effort to find him for his arrest, the FBI, or sorry, an FBI agent reached out to the OCSO to help locate him on January 9th. Around this time, Chrissy, who was Anthony's sister, called again for another welfare check. She was quoted during this call, um, and this quote is a bit cryptic and ominous, which I'm going to read to you now. Mm -hmm. uh, quote, my sister-in-law had made a comment that basically the world is ending December 28th, and nobody has talked to them. Nobody has physically talked to my sister-in-law since the 26th of December, and my brother stopped texting as of Monday, which was January 6th. She then went on to say she was worried something more was happening and that it was all just really strange. 
The next day, two deputies visited both Todd homes, and at the rental home, the officers knocked on the two doors, um, being the front door and the garage door, with no answer. They reported back that all the doors were locked and the blinds were closed. There was also mail in the mailbox dated back from January 6th, with an eviction notice from December 31st still on the front door as well. Jeez. At the condo, there was another eviction notice on the door, um, which their neighbor had texted Megan about, and they noticed that the family vehicle was parked behind a building, but it was two buildings over. The deputies returned to the homes the next day, and um, with the same results, noting that the family had not the family vehicle had not moved either. Mm. In addition to federal agents and the family, the landlord for the rental home, Yasmin Dordoy, called OCSO on January 12th, requesting a welfare check as well. She noted that she had concerns since she hadn't heard from the family and she had been attempting to contact them to evict them. She also had seen on social media that people hadn't heard from the family either, so she was worried and she noted particularly for the children. The search for the Todd family finally comes to a head on January 13th when the OCSO receives a call from a special special agent from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Hmm. This agent had reached out to the sheriff's office to request two deputy backups for federal agents who were about to arrest Anthony for the, um, for the health care fraud. The agent explained that the team spotted Anthony entering the rental home and that they weren't sure if his family was inside or not, but the agent noted that the family vehicle was at the condo, as I just described, and though the house and condo were only a few blocks from each other, Anthony was seen in a white SUV in the weeks prior. When the dispatcher at the sheriff's office asked if there was a threat to the children, the agent responded that they did not know if there was con- um, they did not know, but there were concerns. They felt there were these concerns because Anthony knew he was being investigated. His business in Connecticut was searched. He tapped out all of his financial resources, and he had not contacted um, he had not been in contact with his family in over a week. So he's just been driving around pretty much. Like he hasn't been arrested, but they have put the like the warrant out sort of for him. Mm-hmm. How has he been able to like pay for stuff? I guess since he's tapped out now, but like how is uh, don't they track like electronic uh, purchases through your credit card, debit card from that much? Because it seems like he's just pretty much just getting away with the fraud for a couple months now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they tracked him or not. Um, and I guess that's why the agents called the sheriff's office to help them find him. Um, it was odd to me that he like confessed to the fraud in November, but they didn't have an, a warrant for his arrest until January. Especially like if it was in, if he was committing fraud in Connecticut, which is not, it's kind of a wealthy state. I mean, there's a lot of money up there, especially with cost of living. You would think that somebody who's committing fraud to that scale would not be free to walk around come January if it started in November. Yeah, so I'm not sure what that means or like what their process is. So I like I could Right, but couldn't you like couldn't they have detained him? I I would have guessed so, but I guess they didn't. Right, they could they couldn't Who knows what they like who knows what they said to him when after the investigation, like who knows if they told them not to leave or something. So Nonetheless, they they found him. Um, So when deputies arrived to the house, they swarmed the house with the federal agents. 
And after knocking several times, stating their presence and their intent to arrest Anthony, they found the front door was unlocked and they entered. That was when they were hit with a foul foul odor. The team could hear a faint voice upstairs and saw Anthony emerge, holding onto the railing, attempting to walk down the stairway, according to an official report. The report goes on to further explain that when asked about his family, Anthony responded that the children may be spending the night at a friend's house, but that his wife was sleeping upstairs, to which Anthony then called for Megan with no response. Officials proceed to move upstairs and enter the master bedroom, and here is where the sad and terrible fate of the Todd family becomes clear. On the bed is the body of Megan, wrapped in a blanket, her foot sticking out from under, black and blue. On the floor laid a mattress with the bodies of Alec and Tyler, both covered in blankets, and at the foot of the bed, wrapped in blankets, laid Zoe. Though it's not noted where, several sources report that the dog, Breezy, was also dead. That day, Anthony was taken into custody, at which point he was actually taken to the hospital after telling detectives that he had taken an unknown amount of Benadryl and had made comments of self-harm. Anthony then confessed to killing his family, which experts believe happened in late December. Jesus. Though the U.S. Sun reports that during a prison call, Anthony says the murders occurred before Christmas and he did not remember the incident, he apparently says now that his memory blacked out, or at the time he was saying his memory blacked out. He was later charged with multiple counts of homicide and felony animal cruelty days after the bodies were found. It also came to light that in addition to the federal investigation, Anthony was also being investigated by Attorney General William Tong's office under the State False Claims Act, again addressing the fraudulent insurance claims, and also Anthony's license to practice in Connecticut had expired back in September due to non-renewal. It also developed that while the family was facing eviction in their two residencies in Florida, their condo in the house, one of their practices in Connecticut was also facing eviction due to non-payment of rent for December and January. At the time of the discovery, the bodies were heavily decomposed, but medical examiners were able to use fluid from the liver, brain, and chest, as well as hair samples to run a toxicity report. According to the official autopsies of the Todd family, the cause of death was homicidal violence of unspecified means, and I'm going to say this word wrong, um, diphenhydramine toxicity, and that is more commonly known as the drug Benadryl. So you're telling me that he drugged his entire family with Benadryl to the point of killing them? So, no, not totally, but I'll kind of explain that a little bit here. Um, So the homicidal violence of unspecified means, which was a quote pulled directly from the medical examiner's report, is used by medical examiners when everything points to that end conclusion of the homicide, um, but a specific cause of death cannot be identified. So knowing this, it was also reported that there were stab wounds on Megan, Alec, and Tyler, but they couldn't be pinpointed as the specific cause of death. Megan had been stabbed twice in the abdomen area, leaving blood in her abdomen, inferring that they occurred either before or during death. Alec and Tyler were stabbed once in the abdomen, but no blood was no blood was left in their abdomens, um, which I'm guessing means it was done after death. The article doesn't explain that part, um, but by saying Megan had blood left in her abdomen, meaning it was done before or during, Alec and Tyler didn't have blood, so I'm guessing it means after. Mm. I could be wrong, though. 
Um, Zoe had no evidence like that on her body, but the homicidal violence was still identified as a cause of death, again, along with the Benadryl overdose. It was not clear how Breezy was killed and it wasn't reported anywhere that I saw. Um, so I read a few different reports. There was one report that broke down the percentage of Benadryl in each each person's body mm -hmm. and they didn't know the exact weights of, of them at the time of death. But what that article was stating was that they didn't believe the amount of Benadryl found in them was enough to actually kill them. Like, yes, it was an overdose and it was more than they should have been given. But it wasn't, it shouldn't have been like a lethal amount. Yeah. Pretty much. Right? Which is why I think that combined with the stab wounds is why they can't say one or the other was what actually killed them because they don't know. They just know it was there. So it seems like what he did was he got them... Because Benadryl makes you a little sleepy, right? Yeah, it can knock you so out. So I think what he might have done was he might have just drugged them up to the point where they were sleepy and then went in there and quote-unquote mercy killed them and stabbed them. But I'm not going to give this dude benefit of the doubt. He's he's a terrible human being. He should have... Realistically, that kind of falls on the police for letting this dude commit fraud for so long and then waiting so long to do anything about it. Like... Mm -hmm that family could have been alive had they actually acted on this dude um committing the fraud yeah and it's it's kind of it kind of really upsets me because it feels like negligence at that point where you're just kind of like oh yeah money's not a big deal but literally money anywhere else is a big deal and you could have saved these kids lives and instead you just let this terrible human being do whatever he wanted to do are you getting upset yeah i'm, I'm not in a good mood right now it really upsets me like Especially around the holidays. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the one time I actually want to see my family. And then you're going to tell me that he just committed all this stuff, these heinous acts, and they don't... It, it still seems like they're kind of like, oh, yeah, well, something... They died somehow, and it's kind of like... Well, I get why they say that, because they can't say exactly what killed them. Because I also wonder, like, you don't know if maybe they were smothered or what caught... Because the bodies were so decomposed, I... Maybe they couldn't tell if if it was caused by suffocation, too. Right. You know what I mean? But I'm, I think the thing that really upsets me is that any other time that it comes with fraud, mm -hmm. it seems like they're really reactive about it. Mm -hmm. But in this case, they just they just weren't. Yeah. Like, the dude committed fraud. You hadn't seen from him, seen from him or heard from him in a while or seen him. And you don't even call the wife. And, like, the wellness checks, are they just knocking on doors? Like, they're not... I think after you do the second wellness check and there's been like that cryptic message, that's when I would go into that place. It wouldn't be a month or however later they did it because that's just, it's senseless. Like at that point, you're like, oh yeah, we know we're going to find bodies now, but realistically, had they actually acted and did their jobs, people probably would be alive, especially kids. Yeah. Like that's really infuriating. Like family annihilators, they may be interesting, but those people should, don't deserve to live in prison for the rest of their lives. Yeah. I honestly think there's a much more cruel way to get rid of them. I hear you. I mean, Florida has gators, so why not feed them to gators as live bait? Seriously, because these people are the worst kind of people. They are the worst kind of people. You're not so, wrong. like, why why are we going to waste taxpayer dollars on them? Yeah. Especially this dude. Fraud on top of murder, and then there was a couple other charges. So there's more. Oh, cool. I mean, not a lot more, but there's more information I'm going to share with you, okay? Mm-hmm. 
The photos, um, there were photos released by the Orlando Police Department, um, which show a knife that was found believed to be one of the knives used in the murder, murders, as well as boxes of Benadryl found in the trash. Also found was a loaded gun in the bedroom and makeshift restraints, though there's no record on if they were used or not. According to the Orlando Sentinel, Anthony had been has been indicted on four counts of first-degree murder, and prosecutors are seeking the death penalty. In addition, there are also still charges of animal cruelty for the murder of Breezy. The state attorney on this case actually had vowed to no longer seek the death penalty three years ago, but given the case of Anthony Todd, she decided to bring it back. In the latest update, as of July, Anthony is now claiming that it was his wife, not him, who killed the three children and then herself. Anthony wrote a 27-page letter mid-June. What? How much sense does that make? He's, I know. <laughs> come on, man. Just wait. Like, how are you going to go? Like, how are you not going to say anything? That's so stupid. So, in the letter, Anthony writes that he is a thousand percent innocent in all of these preposterous charges and that he wanted to, quote, all, I'm sorry, quote, correct all inaccuracies, end quote. Throughout the letter, he paints a picture of him as a loving and caring father while Megan was sickly and in need of constant care, going on to claim that they moved due to Megan's illnesses, including Lyme disease and depression. Anthony claims... Why would you move to Florida if you have Lyme's disease? They have so much, like, so many bugs and ticks and stuff down there. Hurricanes. I mean, that's not a bug, but, I mean, it'll mess you up. <laughs> See, that doesn't make any sense. Like, right there, if I was an intelligent person, which I know he's not now, I'd be like, yeah, you know what makes sense? Lyme's disease. You know what doesn't make sense? Florida. I know you're heated. I Give hope, me a minute. I okay? hope he gets, I hope they turn him into the fly that runs into the bug zapper and just, <laughs> <laughs> Anthony claims that Megan put the children to sleep with the Benadryl by hiding it in their dessert, then stabbed and smothered them. He says at this time he was doing maintenance on the condo they owned, as reported by CBS Local Miami. Similarly, though a bit different, Orlando Sentinel reports that when Anthony returned home from doing the repairs, um, on the condo, his sons were outside playing basketball and told him that their mom was making them dessert and asked him to join them. Instead, Anthony declined and chose to return to the condo to take a nap. When he then got back home, he allegedly found leftover pie that, quote, looked very good as all my wife's desserts were, but smelled horrible. His wife then confessed to killing the children and when she asked Anthony if he was okay, he said, no, you murdered our children. To which she responded, I released their souls. Megan then drank a bottle of Benadryl herself and stabbed herself in the stomach after saying, I have to be with my babies. Back in February, Anthony's dad had worked with Hartford Current, outlining the impact they believe the shooting of Anthony's mother had on him as a four-year-old. Apparently, this letter he wrote to his father was in response to his father's participation in the article. So as a side note, at the time of his Anthony's mother shooting when he was four, his father was a teacher um, and was later accused of hiring one of his students to kill his wife. And at the trial, he was convicted and served time. But to this day, he still maintains his innocence. His defense attorney... <laughs> because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It was my wife with the Benadryl. It wasn't me. No, it was you. His defense attorneys have not made any comments on these claims um, that Anthony has made. 
So to end the episode, I thought I'd touch on a few bits of information about family annihilators. When I share this information, I do try to keep it gender neutral, gender neutral, but the research is mostly geared towards men as these crimes are overwhelmingly committed by men. Of 71 family annihilators studied, 59 were men, which, if my math is correct, is about 83%. Science Daily summarizes some findings of the Howard Journal of Criminal Justice on family annihilators, placing them into four categories, self-righteous, disappointed, anomic, and paranoid. The self-righteous family annihilator blames the crimes on the mother and holds them responsible for the breakdown of the family. This type of killer may involve their partner informing them of the crime before doing it. For them, their idea of being the breadwinner is essential to their being. The disappointed family annihilator believes his family has let him down, whether it be through actions that undermine them or destroy destroy their idea of a perfect family. An example could be something related to like religious or cultural. Let's not get started ideas. on religion. You know how strongly I view that, and I'm just kind of like, mm, uh-uh, uh-uh. the the anomic family annihilator is centralized around money. They may see their family as a reason for their financial success, and their family are trophies to them, um, visions of their success. But then, if the father becomes a failure in this sense, he is no longer serving his function to the family. And lastly, the paranoid family annihilator perceives an external threat to the family, an example could be social services, and in their minds, by killing them, they're protecting them from the So, with that one, is that, like, would that be like if Child Protective Services came over because you're beating your kids, and then they're just like, yeah, we might take the kids out of this environment. And Mm -hmm. so, instead of doing what's right for their kids, they're just like, well, sorry. Yeah, exactly. That's awful. Um, In all cases, masculinity and perceptions of power drive family annihilators to commit these crimes. Wilson, the author of the article in the Howard Journal of Criminal Justice referenced here, states that to begin solving the problem of this rising crime, the role of gender must be recognized as it is mainly men who do resort to this type of violence. Casey Anthony would like to have a word with you. She wasn't technically a family annihilator, though. Mm. She just, you know... That of horrible acting. Well, she got off. <laughs> We're not going to discuss that here. Yeah, thank God. So, yeah, that was my story. I'm sorry I upset you with it. Oh, you didn't upset me with it. I just think that the family annihilators should... I don't think that they should be in prison. I think that, honestly, a firing squad? Christopher. What? It's okay for them to kill their family, but we can't No, wait. absolutely not. So, exactly. It's cheaper than keeping them in prison. I mean, what's a, what's a little bit of 5.56 five, or 9 mil? Like, what? Five, seven bucks? I mean, these people don't deserve to live. They wasted an entire family because of stupid reasons. A lot of it... When I heard those reasons, a lot of them, it just really upset me. Because I'm like, I love my family. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't imagine hurting them. And it's like, if you're to that point, just leave. Mm-hmm. Just leave. There's literally options. Well, I think that's the point is like, it's a sense of like severe, like pride almost. Same thing with like someone, I don't know, you look at anyone who commits any crime of pride or any act of pride and they always have the option to just leave, but they don't. Like, they, like even look at, for example, um, like cult- cultural suicides where it's more honorable to commit suicide than to disappoint your family. 
there's always the option to just How often leave. does that happen, though, now? I mean, realistically, I mean, I how know, often does it happen? I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is like that idea. Right. But, I mean... <laughs> or, like, abuse. Like, when, when in cases of domestic violence where someone kills their spouse, they have the option to just leave their spouse, but instead they were prideful and so upset with whatever that they resorted. Yeah, and then they go to the case and they're like, yeah, I didn't hit her. Yeah. Yeah, your knuckle's broken, bud. What do you mean you didn't hit her? Yeah, and so actually actually in the pictures that I saw, um, which were pretty hard to look at, one of them um, showed Anthony's hands and they did have some bruises and cuts on them. Um, so yeah, I just, there you well, go. Mentally, he's not all there. And I hope Florida takes every... Well, I mean, what did you think about the state's attorney going back oh, well, on Good, yeah. good. I'm, so, I hope Florida goes back to zapping stupid people. That and, I mean, he also... I mean, three three children. A dog. And his, a dog. And, his, and wife. his wife. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So There's um, just so many things with that guy that I'm just like, dude, none of this makes sense. Like, anybody with half of a brain or common sense could see that he's just BSing his way through it. Like, he's just going to try to BS his way and then start another family and then start all over again. So maybe we'll follow up on when they have the trial and see what happens there. I hope they live stream it. They might. Well, that's not the part I'm talking about live streaming. No, Chris. <laughs> so, yeah, that concludes this week's well, episode. Well, the holidays are coming up. They might. I mean, Christmas lights. So that concludes this week's episode. This concludes this week's episode of Committed to Crime. Connect with us on Instagram at Committed to Crime or email us at Committed to Crime Pod at gmail.com. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode. All right, bye guys. <laughs>